When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the show, the big fat Fulham Championship preview podcast of the season is here. The league kicks off in just over 24 hours and Fulham's campaign kicks off in just over 72. At a full Craven Cottage, the words are bliss coming out of my mouth against Neil Warnock's Middlesbrough. I mean, can you get more championship than that? Can't wait to be back. And previewing the 21-22 season with me today is Fulham's writer for The Athletic, Peter Rutzler. Hey, Sammy, how's it going? Fine, thank you. And Mr. Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Hello, Sammy. Hello, Peter. It's nice to be back. Yeah, lovely to have you back, Jack. And obviously, it's it's a heady time uh, to be a Fulham fan. It feels like at the moment, the kind of... The dreariness of relegation is gone. The pre-season optimism is here and lots of people are tipping Fulham to do very, very well. So it's been a nice week to be a Fulham fan from that perspective. Uh, We'll see how we're feeling come Sunday evening, whether that party is well and truly crashed. Uh, Before we start, if you want to get Peter's articles on The Athletic, including today an exclusive interview with Tim Ream, which is well worth a read, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic and you can save a third on your subscription go to theathletic.com forward slash fulham pod that's theathletic.com forward slash fulham pod and of course there's still about three weeks left of the transfer window peter's favorite thing so if you want all the best analysis on all of the incoming and potentially outgoing transfers for fulham as well it is well worth subscribing to the athletic theathletic.com forward slash fulham pod and also jack you were just saying before we started uh, another great article on the athletic that you were enjoying last night if you enjoy your european football yeah obviously uh my soft spot for betters is well documented but um it's uh there's a there's an article with andy mitten sort of following them around on their pre-season uh, which they did in england the base at st george's park um and it was, it was a really interesting read so yeah just a, a little bit different a little bit uh off the beaten track but, but a really nice article yeah of course the, the athletic doesn't just cover fulham it, it covers uh well every team in the premier league and uh wider european football as well so well worth subscribing all right let's get into it we're going to get into some questions in part two but first of all uh we haven't done a podcast since the charlton pre-season friendly uh myself and jack went together um we, we had a stop at our, our old favorite stomping ground the duke of cornwall beforehand jack and then we ended up in the crabtree when the match got delayed for an hour um it was just so nice to be back at the cottage on on saturday i don't know about you like the game that wasn't that interesting for, for for the main part as an actual spectacle obviously from a fulham perspective it was interesting to to see how we're shaping up for this season but just first and foremost how nice was it to be back at the cottage on sunday 
Yeah, absolutely. It was it was incredibly enjoyable and just a, a really nice kind of atmosphere. It wasn't it wasn't particularly busy, but you know people were just delighted to be back. I think it was all smiles, and, and that's always nice to see, right? And th- there's a nice atmosphere around Fulham, I think, in general at the moment. And and you mentioned it there at the top, but uh, that kind of the the dreariness of relegation has seemed to have passed us by a little bit now. You know, the fact that people weren't really allowed there, fans weren't allowed in, and we kind of missed the whole season. I think in some ways is a positive because you know we're, we're going back in kind of fresh with with aspirational hopes and it feels like the entire club at the moment you know the fact that we haven't really lost any players the fact that we've strengthened a little bit and it looks like there's a couple more coming in and um, if there's a new manager who is you know ostensibly going to play attacking you know free-flowing football there's just a general sense I think around the club at the moment that that things are on the up now whether that's a fleeting sense and we're we're back in I don't know, 24 months having exactly the same conversations that we're having now, perhaps. And uh, and maybe my optimism is misplaced. But uh, just at the moment, I'm just enjoying that fact that people are delighted to be back, confident that Fulham are going to do well this season, maybe not as well as as everyone expecting, sure, but at least win games and, and, and look to be pushing on in the upper echelons of the table. And I think in general, that means that the place is, is, is a smileier place to be about. And I think it showed at the preseason game on, on Saturday. I mean, I was thinking about this, Peter. Uh, you obviously started covering Fulham at the beginning of last season. A pre-season friendly against Charlton is the largest attendance you'll have seen at, at Craven Cottage. Well, yeah, since I've started covering Fulham, yeah, no, it will have been. Uh, <laughs> blimey, yeah, yeah, it's been exactly a year, hasn't it? Because the playoff final was exactly a year yesterday, yesterday from time of recording. Yeah, so that was sort of my, 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 my seminal moment when Joe Bryan strikes in extra time. That's my, that's my, you didn't my know which way moment. you were going to be sent. No, 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 no. Could, be a, could have been a very, very different. But um, Joe, Joe Bryan wielded the, the, the axe of fate um, <laughs> with his left boot. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was really nice. It was actually it was very nice for me to get back into the press box as opposed to sitting in a in a wooden chair without without power and um, and, and a screen. So now, now I'm living in luxury again in the middle of the Johnny Haynes. Um, it, you know, it was as Jack says, it, it's it, it does feel very positive at the moment. Um, almost that sense, you know, that the clouds sort of passed a little bit. And there's a clearing, and we can all sort of look forward a little bit more, but. Obviously, the football hasn't properly started yet, so we'll, we'll see what happens once uh, once Neil Warnock's lot arrive on on Sunday. And what did you make of the Charlton game, Peter? It didn't scream out, "This is my first eleven that's going to start uh, against Middlesbrough," and and the headline players really were Francois and Carvalho, who linked up so brilliantly for the kind of one real moment of quality. Um, in the match but overall I thought that there was good performances uh, across the pitch Tim Ream got a lot of plaudits as well yeah no absolutely I I was a little I don't know it wasn't it wasn't the greatest performance I, I was slightly underwhelmed I mean it was Charlton it was League One opposition sure they're they're looking to get back into the championship but I did feel it was uh, I mean it wasn't all, all guns blazing but I don't think it could be uh, a few weeks into to Silver's reign Um but, you know, as you say, Francois and, and Carvalho really did steal the show. I was so impressed with with Francois. I mean, he's one we talked about a bit last season. He's had his trouble with injuries. Um, but he was so composed on the ball. I think he was the most proactive in midfield. And obviously, that was shown through his assist, where he showed his understanding with, with Carvalho. Obviously, they've been playing with the 23s for a while. Um, but I'd never really seen him play in that sort of midfield role in a two. I mean, I've only seen him a few times. 
but with the 23s and, and and even when he's come on for the first team, he's always been in different positions. He's always been very versatile. And while on the one hand, that's that's very helpful, um, but actually focusing on his actual position in midfield, I thought it was excellent uh, in both boxes, really. Yeah, there was that one moment in the first half where the ball fell from the sky and I think it was Francois and two other Charlton players and, and Francois just did this magic touch which just took them both out of the game and, and he like pressed on forward with the ball and, and, and found a pass and it, it was just like his match basically sums up in a nutshell really and I think you could tell that those two actually were maybe just putting in that little bit extra effort than maybe some of the players that will know that they're starting on Saturday. You know, that much would be said, Jack, about Mitrovic's kind of non-performance, barely touched the ball, but I feel like you had to temper that with Mitrovic just needed a run out. He didn't, he doesn't need confidence or to get four in a preseason friendly against Charlton. No, uh, when when he catches fire, he will stay on fire, and I'm not particularly worried about it. I, I thought, to be honest, he he looked like he'd, he'd lost some weight. I think he looked he looked like he was a, a little bit leaner, perhaps not as sharp as as we might have, have hoped. But you know, at the end of the day, it is a preseason game. It's about getting minutes under the belt. It's about getting you know yourself into shape. And and actually, what I really liked was 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 about the way that, that Fulham tried to create chances and, and the development. We saw fullbacks hitting the byline for the first time in a long time, right? It was there were there were shades of Savisa under under that. And I, I think there was that element that that we could see how Fulham were looking to build. Um, and, and I think that's the most important thing in a preseason game. We, we often say on ranks that, you know, the results actually don't matter. It's, it's how you play, how you score, how you concede that, that actually matters in these kind of games. And what was, was really, really encouraging was the fact that uh, our fullbacks were being encouraged to overlap. We were being asked to do pullbacks into the box. Now, we're obviously not quite used to that yet. There are a lot of them falling on, on deaf ears. There's still not quite that, that late arrivals that we'd be hoping for. But the fact that Fulham seemed to have a structure in terms of their attacking patterns and uh, and they were starting to build things in the final third that looked like they could be set routines and uh, set kind of ways to unlock defences. Felt like something that was a positive and perhaps been missing under Parker. So, yeah, it wasn't the greatest game of all time. I thought there were positives to take out of it. Right, so I thought Francois was the best player on the park as well. Um, he, he, he was absolutely outrageously good for long periods of it. And not even just the the kind of highlight reel moments, but the fact that he shielded so well, the fact that he was able to, his off the ball running was, was, was excellent. He was able to track defensive and, and, and make a difference in that third as well. Um, I, I thought all round he was just really, really quite good. And 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 look, will be part of this squad, I think, going forward. I think he's done enough to, to prove that he, he's good enough at, at, at this level and, and will be good enough to to make a claim, if not to start on Sunday, perhaps. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was the patterns that I was pleased with and the fact that we were we were creating in those kind of senses. The, the wide players looked like they had a, a kind of driven idea of what they wanted to do to come off that wing or to go down to let the underlaps and under overlaps fly. Um, and yeah, I was, I was really kind of pleased with, with that aspect of it, I think more than anything else. Just on, on Francois as well, because obviously I think we, we mentioned it in a previous pod, but he was looking at the Australian squad for the Olympics, which is obviously going on now. Um, obviously that hasn't happened and he's coming for preseason and sort of had that opportunity with Silver. I don't really think there was a sort of an expectation that he would make an impact in the way that he has. Um, but he genuinely has made such a big impact. Uh, he's had good performances in, in different games, particularly the Southampton game, which was drawn 1-1 behind closed doors, I think. Um, feedback from that was really, really positive about him. And, and, and as Jack says, you know, he's going to have a role this season. It really is unlikely that he's going to go on loan or anything like that. Um, and it's, it's pretty impressive for him to have managed to have 
forced himself into that contention, considering the strength and depth that Fulham have in that area, to now be very much involved in the squad set for this season. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, speaking to Silver afterwards, and for sure it's a, a week before the season starts and we're young players, but, you know, I asked him if he, if he thought these guys would actually be involved. And obviously we can see that for Fabio, but, you know, his point was it is a week before the season. So if you're starting a week before the season, then you've got a pretty good chance of being involved. So that's really encouraging and actually really, really impressive from from him, considering the setbacks with injuries he's had. And now he's very much in the picture. I think under Scott Parker as well, he was earmarked for that, um, which is why we saw him in that in, in uh, at the end of the season coming on against Newcastle. Um, so that that's that's encouraging. And I do agree with Jack about patterns. I think it's really clear what Silva wants his side to do. Obviously, there was the goal, um, breaking through the lines, great movement from Carvalho off Mitrovic. Uh, he seems to really thrive in picking up those pockets. And I think that's where Mitrovic can be so effective, sometimes not by doing anything, just drawing people to him as, as a magnet, especially in this in this division. And as Jack says, the cutbacks, um, sometimes going direct from the centre halves as well. Uh, more often, um, which which is encouraging, and I guess it's just about now making sure that Fulham pick up those results while they still adapt. And the fact that they did that against Charlton, I think, is an encouraging sign. There was a clean sheet. Yes, it's weaker opposition, but those are the those are the things you want to get used to and, and keep doing as the season progresses. There's one more bit that that's kind of crucial there, and and you kind of touched on it, Peter, is how close Carvalho was to Mitrovic for long periods. You know, having that kind of support run, having that ability to to, to make sure that there are players in and around Mitrovic was something that we kind of mourned last year. And, and we said that often he's isolated, often he's not got the players to, to, to work off. It just doesn't really, you know, off, often happen for him when he's on his own and asked to do it all by himself. Now, the fact that Carvalho basically played as a second striker in that kind of 10 role, the fact that the wingers were, were asked to come inside uh, and, and and start to fill out that that zone kind of on the on the edge of the box in in what they call the half space um, was 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 a really nice thing. I, I think it made a it made a real difference and it allowed it allowed Mitrovic the the kind of freedom to wander around. And yes, he wasn't particularly effective, but you saw the spaces open up for Cabano, for Knockart, for Carvalho. And part of that is just getting people around Mitrovic because defenders are terrified of him, and rightly so. He's a, you know he's a cheat code at this level. And and I think that when you get to a point where defenders are so worried about Mitrovic that the likes of you know Carvalho, the likes of Harry Wilson, I think in particular, are going to thrive off that extra space that's created because people are so scared of, of what Alexander Mitrovic can do. Yeah, and it, you are right that at times it looks almost like a four-four-two with with Carvalho up supporting Mitrovic up that high. I mean, there's not a chance that Carvalho could really do a job for us in the ten this season, Peter. I guess it depends what Kearney's injury status is at the moment, and you'd imagine he would be first choice for that. But then maybe it's between Carvalho and Wilson, and then the fact that Wilson can go out wide, so can Carvalho. They might kind of switch it up a little bit but I really think Carvalho is not just here to be a bench player and occasionally play the last five minutes no I don't think so either Sam I think he's going to be really involved he's had a lot of minutes in pre-season um as you say can play wide can play through the middle um and we've seen it I think every performance he's he's been impressive I mean we're talking back to the Premier League as well and that's not easy we know he can score goals he's good he's good when you can see the the whites of the post um and as Jack was outlining there, he's, he's very effective at linking up with Mitrovic. Now, of course, it a lot will come down to Tom Kearney and and, and Marco Silva has spoken positively about Kearney and, and where he sees him and his team. Um, 
but there, there are question marks about his fitness. I mean, that's just in what, nine months since we last saw him play. Um, he hinted that he's sort of close, but I guess he's been sort of close for a while. So it's hard to really read into it too much about where he is and, and how long it may be before we see Tom Kearney back. But um, either way, in terms of options Fulham have in those forward areas, it's, you know, they are really impressive and, and ridiculous for the championship level. I mean, that's no point buttering it up. I mean, even even with Cabano and, and, and Knockout who started on, on um on on Saturday you'd think well that's that's really really solid but then you throw in Harry Wilson from the bench Harry Wilson is probably lower Premier League at the very least now um last time he's with Derby I mean he scored so many goals and if you add those to Mitrovic or at least take the burden off him it, it makes it does make a difference um and then you've got Carvalho he's, a, he's very much an unknown um and I think what will benefit Carvalho is the fact that there are those rotation options there are ways in which he can be rested can be taken out of the limelight. Because a player like him, if he is as influential as he as he threatens to be um, in in games, he can be targeted. So just having those options to mix things up is important. Um, but he is young, so we don't want to get too carried away. But um, I mean, he's been I mean, every time we see him. I mean, it's he's impressive. Jack, I've watched several or listened to several uh, Championship One to Twenty Four shows this week. It's a very popular thing to do. Uh, not the top twenty are kind of the kings of this. Um, if you haven't listened to that podcast yet, the Championship One to Twenty Four is not the top twenty. Like, I don't know what you're doing. I'd also chuck in James Allcott's here. Very, very yeah, good. James Allcott as well. Um, I, I've, I haven't watched James Allcott's yet, but I will listen to not the top twenty. I've also watched Benjamin Blooms and Gab Sutton's. All of them have Fulham first. So does James. There you are. Spoiler: James does too. Okay. Nathan Lyons asks the question, does all the talk of Fulham should piss the league make you more nervous for the upcoming season? Because it does for me. Uh, And I very much share Nathan's sentiment. I can't handle all the compliments almost is, is, is the stage that I'm at here. I can see why logically it seems to make so much sense. Fulham have such a strong squad, but well, what's the title of this podcast? Yeah, I mean, I agree. Uh, look, it's there's so much obviously to go. It's a long old season. It's the championship. Anything can happen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, every cliche under the sun. Um, but it it is if you look at the Fulham squad right now, and, and you look at how it's panning out, and and how the the squad currently looks, that there is no way that this Fulham squad should not go up automatically. Not necessarily win the league, because I think that Sheffield United are also in a particularly good place, and I actually think that West Brom have uh, have rebuilt quite nicely for for what Ismail wants to do. So I'm not suggesting that the Fulham have to go up autom- uh, have to go up in at top, but I do think that if this squad is kept together as it currently is, then the Fulham anything less than an automatic promotion is I think a disappointment from from a squad based perspective. Now, how that actually pans out in real life is obviously a different question. Um, and how this squad looks in twenty seven days' time when the window shuts is another question entirely, right? And if if this squad is is been depleted by then, if we've seen offers that come in that are you know that we cannot deal with, if if offers come in for the likes of Tosin and Gisa, suddenly the squad looks a little bit less, you know completely and utterly watertight. And and so I suppose that, yes, at the moment, it makes sense for Fulham to be the favourites for, for automatic promotion. It makes Fulham to be favourites to, to win the league, sure. But there's a lot going on here, which, which involves... You know stuff that at the moment is outside of our control, outside of what we can foresee. So I would suggest that yeah, you you could take everything with a pinch of salt until August thirty one, right? Where where things start to change a little bit, and 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 and, and in that regard, 
sure i'm a little bit nervous but but more than that i'm a little bit nervous as to where we will be at that point it's not so much the you know if fulham start the campaign with four wins on the trot and you know with with 12 points on the 31st of august and uh, you'd, you'd imagine that players would be less likely to be like i actually want to leave because they'd be like ah oh, we could do this you know we could go and absolutely hammer the championship if fulham lose their first three you're going to see players being like i am not doing this like there is no way that you know that the players are going to want to buy into that so so a lot kind of rests on how this starts on how the squad looks then and on and on how we replace them if those players do go um so so yeah that's my kind of caveat for the season i feel like a lot falls on sunday in a way i think that's one of the most difficult matches that we have in our opening month millwall away as well i think will be a hugely difficult one a lot of people have rightly tipped Millwall um, to be right up there this season. They haven't really lost any players. Gary Rowett's a good manager. Peter, what, what's your thoughts with with Fulham's position going into this season and the plaudits that are coming our way? Yeah, I, I think Jack summed it up really nicely. I think August is a massive month, isn't it? I mean, what we're looking at now could be very different come September, but, but at the same time, we could end up with the same the same situation as we are with twelve points in the bank, and suddenly it's okay. Yeah, I, there's no there's no doubting. But I guess when you're making a preview, you're looking at what's there in front of you. Um, and right now, Fulham squad is ridiculous for this level. I think. Um, I think it's inevitable there'll be more offers. We've seen um, Valencia try and take Anguissa on loan, but I think it was a, a loan without a loan fee, which I just don't think was going to wash. Um, so. There are. That's the thing. I guess it was. That was almost like a, a reminder that you know the likes of Tosin or Harrison Reed or Alexander Mitrovic, who's had uh, bids from from Dinamo Moscow pushed away. So, um, it. I mean, as you look at it, and we, when you look at the squad from back to front, there aren't really any weaknesses. Um, you've got players. You've got promotion experience. You've got a coach who's got a very impressive CV. I think there are slight there will be concerns about silver i think to an to a little extent because you know he's unproven at this level um he's got a point to prove will he be able to stamp his style on not just fulham in a a short amount of time but also in this division um and yeah sunday sunday's really big and sunday's a really good really good test i think it i mean as we've sort of mentioned you know middlesbrough are probably one of those teams looking at the playoffs this year you can't underestimate neil warnock um, you know, I guess he gets has a reputation for being something of a uh, an old guard figure. I don't want to say dinosaur because it's not true because he is actually quite innovative and willing to try new things. You can see the fact that they've been trying to to compete with Fulham for Rodrigo Muniz, and I think they're bringing in a, an Argentine number ten, Martin Payero. They bought um, in a new so uh, data analysis team and and recruitment side, and that's I think where these are coming from. Um, they've also done quite well out of the lower leagues, so. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Peter. It's not a. It's really easy to lump Warnock into a category and be like, "That's what he does." Um, but you know, Middlesbrough are trying to be creative, and I think it's it's important to remember that. And um, yeah, absolutely. So it's, that's going to be a really tough test so early on into the Silver Project. Um, and then, but when you compare it to West Brom and Sheffield United, who are the two sides who look most likely to stop Fulham getting the automatics? Um, the start Fulham starts a little nicer. I know West Brom and uh, West Brom got Bournemouth on the opening day, uh, and then they play Sheffield United. I think second or third third game in. I think so. I mean, the, the championship. The championship is always a difficult division. It's always very tough when there's so many games. And the fact that Fulham have good squad depth, it plays to their advantage. The thing is, I can't see the other sides being able to sustain 
a consistent run in, in, in a way that may challenge those that have come down. Um, I think with West Brom and the way Valerian Ishmael wants his team to play, it's very unique. Well, actually, to be fair, so is Jukanovic and Sheffield United, and I think that'll be a bit of a shock for them. But I just think the way Ishmael wants that West Brom team to play may may come as a bit of a bit more of a shock, and he may need a little little more time. Um, so yeah, all down to adaptation period. So I've just sort of rambled a bit there, but it's all down to adaptation nice. period. And then you look at those chasing Bournemouth. Good squad. Will that squad, same as Fulham, will it be the way it looks right now come the end of August? I, I can't really see it. Dan Juma, I think, will definitely go. If they can keep David Brooks, I think he will be a really important player for them. Um, but I can't see them really pushing into the automatics. And then you're looking at everyone else as sort of dark horses, really. Uh, Middlesbrough, Millwall, you mentioned. Um, even Queen's Park Rangers, you've got themselves into a really good position now. Yeah. Very um, good. So... Oh, Stoke City as well as the other one I wanted to, to mention under Michael O'Neill. I feel like they've sort of turned a corner a little bit and if I think they could be a team that could push on too. So those are the teams, but then will they push automatics? It's hard to say at this point, but yeah. I think if you take as it is, Fulham are in a really good spot. Well, on that vein, we'll take a break and then afterwards, I think let's do some pre-season predictions that will definitely come back to bite us come May. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here. I'm joined by Peter Rutzler. Hello. And Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Okay, let's do some predictions for the 21-22 season. And I always think these things come back to bite. I, I don't know if necessarily a club podcast should be delving too much into this because it feels like we can only lose uh, by by doing these. But alas, I think it's what the people want at this time of year. We won't do like a full 24 to 1 because I don't think that's really our remit, but we'll just do a few, uh, some from a Fulham perspective, some from a slightly wider uh, championship perspective as well. Um, so my first question uh, to both of you is where will Fulham finish this season? Top. Top. I'm going for it. Okay. Okay. Jack's going for top. Peter, from the slightly more objective view. Top. I mean, it's it, it's really difficult not to say top just because, you know, I just feel with Sheffield United and West Brom, there's more adaptation period probably required than Silver needs. And I can't see other sides in this division being able to compete with Fulham squad. I feel like they should finish top. That doesn't, I get, you know, come the end of August and Fulham haven't won three games suddenly as well. Maybe, maybe not, but yeah, Fulham, Fulham should win the league. I'm normally the optimistic <laughs> one when doing these kind of predictions, but I am going to say second. I just have a feeling that things won't be that smooth. 
I'll take, I'll take it, mate. I'll take it right now. I will now. take it and it'll be absolutely <laughs> fine, but I think it might be second and not that comfortable. I think we might be talking kind of like West Brom from two seasons ago where it was second, but really like there was not much glory to it by the end. I, I just, maybe it's just my ultimate pessimism of being a Fulham fan and the fact that everyone's tipping us to do so well. I feel like we're there to be slightly got at, but also I do recognise that a squad of our quality should be up there automatically really and therefore that's why i'm gonna go second on the predictions if we um, don't like, i think mine carries if we don't lose more than two players between here and here in the end of august like yeah. two two first team players i think we'll be we'll be there or thereabouts i really think jack's point though about this start is so important the more i think about it you know if fulham don't pick up good points in these opening games what that does for the mindset of these players you know, I, I, they're all professionals. I'm sure they'd give everything. But if I'm in that situation and I've been promoted before, not really made an impact in the Premier League, I've been asked to do it again, um, or I'm a player who wants to play in the Premier League, um, like one, looking at the gruel that is the championship, I, I, it's just so it's so impactful, this, this little period here. Getting that right mindset, getting that positive frame of mind, maintaining what we feel right now. It's key. I think if we if we then did pre- predictions at the end of August, I think they may be very different. Um, yeah. And well, I think we, we, we can, can only can only go with what's in front of you, and, and what's in front of us now is it's automatics, absolutely. Okay. Next one, player of the season. So obviously, this again is a bit of a subjective one. Let's just go for who we think the fans will pick as the player of the season. Um, obviously, we may disagree with that come the end of the year, but who do we think might end up as player of the season? Fabio Carvalho. Okay. 32 games. That's what we're going for. 32 games for Fabio Carvalho. Eight goals, 12 assists. Okay. I mean, like, it's an interesting precise. Because I think when it comes to player of the season, I remember like the season that Ryan Sessegnon was his breakthrough. Tim Ream was the player of the season. It's always, it never quite goes in the direction. Fans player of the season though, was it? Yeah, fans player of the season was Tim Ream. Didn't Sess win one of them and Tim Ream won the other? I think fans are always a bit like, oh, if someone's won the official player of the season, let's give it to someone else for... Well, it was Sess who won, won tons of awards, like the EFL player of the season, didn't he? Much to um, Wolves fans' annoyance because they thought that... Um, Ruben Neves. Yeah, Ruben Neves should have should have got it. And I think they're still wound up about that uh, three years later. It's, it's hard to know, really. Uh, Peter, player of the season? Kenny Tete. I feel nice. like this could be a good season, especially if he hangs around. I think he's way too good for this level. Um, if he can avoid injuries, play every game, which I'm sure he, he may do, I think he would be a, a really important player and would and will do really well in, in Silver's system. And it will be very key in the way that he plays and how exposed they can be defensively, having someone who is as good one-on-one as he is. I think that will be a big, big vote winner. Um, otherwise, I would say Carvalho, but... I just don't know how many games we'll get and I'm sure he'll do very well and everyone will love him. But I think Kenny Tete might be Mr. Mr. Consistent. See, my one is, and I, I think I'm fairly nailed on, like I could put money on this, is Harrison, Harrison Reed. Reed yeah. I just, I just think that, I think that DM role always gets loved by fans. And I think he is a fans player in the way that he hassles and harries and he's all across the pitch and stuff. I, I, and he didn't win it last season, but I think he very much could have um, especially if performances had kind of carried on at that Everton level where he was sensational. So I think if Harrison Reed stays, and that's still a caveat, I think it's fairly safe that he's staying next season. Yeah, he season. took the number six shirt. I think he's going to stay. 
Um, but yeah, Harrison Reed is my prediction. Right. Interesting one here. I'm going to go for second top scorer. I think we can all be fairly sure that Mitrovic will be the top scorer. Um, we can't be a hundred percent certain and, and you can always go for Mitrovic as second top scorer if you like, uh, as option. But, um, who do you think will be Fulham's second top scorer this season? Harry Wilson, nine. Okay. I mean, given his scoring record, I guess he's a fairly safe bet, isn't he? I, I actually think that Harry Wilson will spend this season being incredibly inconsistent and frustrating, but he'll score nine goals. Yeah. That was a bit like what he was at Bournemouth last year. Really inconsistent, really frustrating, but then not last year, year before last, goodness me. We've moved on. We've moved on. Um, <laughs> um, um, but he still scored seven and was, was the top scorer. So I would also say Harry Wilson. I think he'd be like uh, a well-liked Andre Scherler. I think he'll shoot from everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> A well-liked Andre Scherler and Anthony Knockart that occasionally finds the back of the net unlike. Yeah. unlike I, I think, and I think he'll get double digits. I think he's very good at finding space in the box and he's very good for cutbacks and things. And if Silva wants to play that way with his fullbacks in the byline and cutting back, he'll be Harry Wilson. He'll be on the, at the end of quite a few of them. I wouldn't the be surprised Stephen, if he's right with Stephanie Hansen. Yeah, I think it's hard to look past Wilson for this one as well. So I will also go Wilson. The only interesting one for me is how much Cavalero plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, I think like, from last ball. season, we clearly found out that he's, his finishing is not the greatest, but I'm wondering if there might just be a little Cavalera revelation where he plays some important games for us this season and scores a few important goals. He did score a few important goals last year. You know, he, he has a knack of getting into the box and sometimes finishing, but obviously we saw last season his confidence was absolutely shot, but maybe under a new manager, maybe without all that pressure on him like he had for so many parts of last season um we may see cavalero also chip in uh with a few important ones okay right this is just rest of the championship stuff now um well you've all gone for fulham for you've both gone for fulham for top spot i've gone for fulham for seconds so who do you think will be the other automatic promotion place blades oh goodness me we're going for the same answers aren't we that way for it <laughs> I like I like this Ismail uh, West Brom side, but I think that they are. It, it, there's a lot. There's a few more miles on the clock than he would like for a lot of that team. I think. Um, I think they'll fall short, um, but I think they'll start really well. I think. I think Blades. Uh, I think West Brom will be top two until like January, and then they'll fall away a bit. And I think that Sheffield United will make a late dash and nick that second spot. Okay, um, Peter, you're going for the same answer. Yeah, uh, on the basis of their squad, actually. Uh, I think their squad is really good for, for the championship. There's a lot of goals in attack. I know they don't seem that at Premier League level, but Rian Brewster and Oli McBurney, when they were last in the championship, were very, very effective. Um, obviously, they've got Slavisa Jukanovic. Uh, they will play attacking football. I think they, they've got so many goals in them that they'll, they'll be up there. And I think, you know, as I said earlier, I just think the, the Ishmael, um, uh, Ishmael's job is a little bit more, more difficult in that it will take a little may take a little bit longer to adapt but could be wrong but I think it will be Sheffield United and, and Fulham so I might go for an outside bet here but I really think QPR I was going to say I have them I have them as playoff winners I honestly think QPR could and it and actually you could see a situation next season that if, if Brentford I hope they I hope they go down but I actually think they might stay up where you have all four West London sides um, in the Premier League next season I just think they were so good at the end of last season they got 44 points in the second half of last season's championship they've kept that team together including 
our very own Stephanie Hansen, who made such a big impact. They've got several good players and a good manager in Mark Warburton. So that is my outside bet for the top two, as much as it pains me to say. Okay, right. Um, I guess rather than trying to pick like three to six in the playoffs or whatever, maybe let's just go for playoff winners. Uh, Jack, you said QPR. Yeah, um, I think, I think it is. Like that. I've watched them a lot in preseason um, because, well, they're, they're an interesting side and they've played quite a lot of interesting sides as well. They were excellent against a pretty much full-strength Leicester. Um, they played a kind of second-string Man United side that still had a lot of very good players in it and they battered them. Um, it's, it's interesting. I think that, that Charlie Austin as his lone striker is actually a weak point. Uh, I, I don't think he has the movement and to, to do that. But if they're going to go 4-3-3, I think that it's not going to be him. It's going to be Lyndon Dykes that kind of leads the line. They might keep Austin as kind of that rotation piece. But yeah, I think you're right. They brought in Andre Dezel, who, who I think is, is, is a really clever little player um, and, and will be a real kind of nice bit of business in the midfield for them. Um, and, and I think that they, they've just brought a few very sensible players in, you know, as a full. Like, yes, they made all the loan signings permanent. Austin, Sam Field, Steph Joe, obviously, and, and Jordy Device off Hull. Um, and they brought in Jimmy Dunn as well, who's was at, was at Burnley. And I thought we, we started to get a couple of minutes in, in the Premier League and then didn't quite get through that, that brick wall, which is the Burnley defence, which has proved impossible to break into. Um I just think that QPR are in a good place. I, I don't think they're good enough to get to the automatics. Um, I don't think they're quite there yet. I think they're still a little bit too up and down. They're, they're a bit sort of score four, you score three, um, which is fun and it's great value and they're really good entertainment, but they're a little bit chaotic, I think, to get to the to get to get the automatic spots. But I do think that chaos could be really, really useful in the, in, in the playoffs and I think they'll, uh, I think they'll do well. I, I really do think they I have them down as playoff winners. Uh, Peter? I like QPR. I do like QPR. And the fact that they've made their loanies permanent um, is a really, really good step. And I, I'm a big admirer of Mark Warburton as well. But I, I just don't know if they're going to have the long... I, I, I worry about them in the playoffs in terms of the semifinals and the finals. But then also, I think over the season, what would stop them getting automatics would just be the length of the season and um, and whether they have the depth to to, to cope with a, an, an injury crisis or uh, fatigue as the like. So definitely playoffs for me, but I think, I think West Brom will do it just about, I think their squad is good enough. I know everyone's saying that the three that go down are coming back up, but it's, it's really is very difficult to look beyond them. I think if the one team I mentioned them before, I think Stoke could push them. I think once they get Tyrese Campbell back, um, they've got someone who can, who was really, really impressive before he had a serious injury. And um, they've brought in, I think Mario Vrancic, they brought in Sam Surridge from Bournemouth as a backup forward as well. I think they're in a decent enough place. I think they could surprise a few people. Um, I guess the other one we haven't even mentioned is, is Bournemouth. Um, and it just it just depends what Scott Parker's football looks like with them and, Bournemouth and what they can do. Bournemouth ninth, mate. Yeah, well, outside the playoff, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Uh, they'll be in a bit of bother if they don't go up. Um, so they're a decent enough squad, but I can't see them coming through the playoffs. I know, I know Parker masterminded it with Fulham, but... With that, they're a very young team, Bournemouth, um, losing a bit of experience, and I just, yeah, I think they're uh, they need to they may need to reset. It's just a bit of a worry for them because they've brought in the world's scariest man, Emiliano Marcondes, um, in order to you know to, to obviously try and try and get the players <laughs> into a mindset that they can fight. But unfortunately, you know that's just the way the world. I think he might the rest of the players might be too scared and then fail fail to play this year. So uh, so yeah, I think Scott shot himself in the foot there. I cannot wait 
or Marcondes to come back to the cottage. I I, I think actually Parker may be saved from a a negative reaction, which I don't think he deserves, by the way. Um, Hopefully by Marcondes starting on the bench, I cannot wait uh, for him to touch the ball in that game. That will be wonderful. Um, I think my playoff pick would be Sheffield United is what I've got down. I think that... um, We've seen that Slavisa Jokanovic, um has the pedigree to, to go ahead and win playoff matches. Um, I think that that Sheffield United team is incredibly experienced. And I think if they ended up in the playoffs, which I think might be what happens because they might have a slow start and might leave it too late to get into the top two. I think that then their experience plus Jokanovic, um would be a serious combination for them to do well in the playoffs. So that is my playoff prediction. Um just quickly, any like strong tips for relegation? You don't necessarily need to pick all three. Um, I'm going to guess, Jack, that a certain Derby County are on that list. Yeah, obviously. I, I think the one that I'm genuinely a bit scared for is Huddersfield. Um, they just don't really show me anything that they've brought in that, that, that suggests they're going to do better. Um, they brought in Jordan Rhodes, who's used to be a cheat code at this level and now hasn't scored a goal for about 2 million years. So, um, so, so I'm, I don't I think that's going to be the thing. Him oh, he's, yeah, he's going to score against us. Of course he is. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, I, I'm worried for Huddersfield. I like their manager, um, Carlos Corbin. I, I think he's a good bloke, but I'm just a little bit scared um, that I, they don't have the depth in order to, basically to, to kick through it and, and, and kick on. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about Huddersfield Town. There are a couple of, yeah, there are a couple of teams who you would have, who were doing quite well last year, who could be set for some difficult seasons. Obviously, Swansea are in a bit of a predicament now that Steve Cooper's walked out on them. Uh, is it Russell Martin they've appointed? Yeah, yeah. yeah Russell Martin's Russell gone. Martin's come in. Obviously, he's, he's one plaudit for the way he plays, uh, very possession-based football. Um, that will go down well there, but, you know, they're looking at losing, obviously, Captain Matt Grimes, who I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. Um, they, I just, I wonder, you do wonder with it with side like that. I don't think they'll go down, but they may struggle. Um, another one is, is Reading because of their financial situation. They're under embargo. Um, and then also Blackburn, who now that Danny Ings has miraculously just apparated to Villa out of nowhere, um, that. I can see Southampton coming in for Adam Armstrong and Adam they're Armstrong. Already, they're already in for Adam. They're already in for there we go. So um lose Adam Armstrong and they're in they're in a difficult situation. Obviously they had Harvey Elliott and other really effective loanees. Um That I think, might be what saves them if by between Absolutely. That I think that's that's the key, isn't it? I mean, Tony Mowbray seems to have a really good effect on them. Tossing Adrobio is one, uh, went down to Blackburn and, and did very, very well. And I think Premier League clubs know what they get with Blackburn. But as you know, as things stand, um it, it may be a bit tricky for them. What I would say is the three that came up, I'm pretty sure I'm fairly confident they'll all stay up. Um, you know, Blackpool play some really good football, especially towards the back end of the season. Neil Critchley's done a really good job there. Um, Peterborough have got a good base. And so have Hull, who, who walked League One last year. So with it being a bit weaker, I think I can see all three of them staying up. So um, they shouldn't be taken lightly. I'm a little bit concerned for Bristol City. Um They've obviously relied a lot on on loanees over the past couple of years. Um, that's you know, and it's, it does feel like a bit that Nigel Pearson has a bit of a job on his hands here. Um, they've brought in a couple of of his old Leicester boys to try and or stem the tide. Matty James, Andy King, you know, we're talking about a thirty year old and a thirty two year old, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 
Yeah, I find do. it really surprising with Bristol City because you look at everything around that club that, you know, they've obviously got a, a big fan base or certainly a big pool for, for their fan base. They upgraded the stadium. The stadium looks like gorgeous. And I know like trophies aren't won on how nice your stadium looks, but everything about that club screams like uh, quite a bit of ambition. And yet since Johnson went, they just have done nothing and and you know could have been sucked into it last year if it wasn't for the fact that Derby and Sheffield Wednesday were, was just so bad that they they just ended up not getting anywhere near yeah it's it, it's a funny one like, I, I'm not convinced that they're going to struggle but like I do think it's a bit of an odd one that that they haven't really strengthened I mean there's there's some players in this squad there's obviously Chris Martin who we all know well um he's 32 now Vyman's 29 Naki Wells is 31. You know, the big guns in this side are are, are starting to age. Um, and, and I think that there's a little bit of a, a worry that people are starting to, this squad is starting to get a little bit older than it should be. They haven't really reinforced young. Um, and, and and there's that kind of element that I'm a little bit scared for them. Now, I think they might just about be okay, but I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that they're going to be in the mix. Yeah. Okay. Well, there are predictions. Um, feel free to clip this up and replay it to us in May and show us how wrong we were. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll gladly take it on the, on the chin. Uh, and yeah, we'll take another quick break and then we've got some listener questions and transfer gossip afterwards. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy here with Jack and Peter. So let's come on to some questions. And aptly, Fulham Transfers has asked this one, Peter. What the hell is going on with Grimes and Moonies? Exclamation <laughs> mark. 23 likes. Most popular question on there. <laughs> um, well, what the hell is going on? Okay. Um, Rodrigo Muniz, Um, Everyone knows that Fulham like them. Everyone knows that Fulham are in talks with Flamenco about signing him. Um, those talks have been pretty positive. They've been moving in the right direction for a while. I think we've seen from ports in Brazil that things are very close to an agreement. Last week, uh, I said that there wasn't an agreement. And I think what's happened is what's come out, obviously, is that Muniz has now uh, contracted COVID. That would delay anything. However, I don't believe that that's going to affect the deal. Now, if, if it does go through, and it is still an if, from what I've heard, the last time I checked in was, was yesterday at time of recording. Um, and I was told that a deal is not yet done. However, reports in Brazil overnight say that we are at that point. But either way, um, should it happen, um, we are still looking at a period before we would see Muniz. Um, one, because he's got COVID at the moment. And then two, because of the quarantine period. Now, I've been trying to look into this. Uh, I don't believe there is some any kind of an exemption for uh, an athlete from, from Brazil. I may be wrong. Um, and maybe his contraction of COVID changes things. Maybe there is a way to do it. Still looking into that. I'm pretty certain there isn't because at the end of the day, I don't think the government could give a monkeys. Well, it's the, they're a red list country with a very specific variant that's vaccine potentially evasive. So yeah, I'd be very surprised. Either way, even if he did all right, I just couldn't see him being involved until probably September. And it's every possibility that this wouldn't be confirmed for a while. So you may still hear a bit more about him, uh, the, the rumblings of, of what's going on without any confirmation for a little bit, but we'll see. Uh, Matt Grimes, Matt Grimes, um, I think is a player that Fulham like. Um, I don't think when the foot reports first started to surface, there was actually much that had happened. Now, that could change, but I don't want to stick my neck out and say it will change. Um, either way, Fulham are interested in Matt Grimes. Um, 
He's available, as we were mentioning, because of Swansea's sort of situation. They've got a couple of players that they could probably cash in on. Grimes is one of them. Uh, Grimes won't be a Swansea player by the end of the summer. Um, there could be competition for him, um, but um, he's one Fulham-like, so time we will see on that, and that that could move actually quite quickly. But we'll we'll, we'll see. Is there anything else, Peter, that, that's on the radar that that we should be knowing know, know about? I know there was talk of Will Hughes earlier in the window. I'd yeah. imagine you wouldn't bring in Will Hughes and Matt Grimes, but, um, but yeah. no. And, and I think the the strength that Fulham have in midfield is is interesting, and I do wonder to what extent a lot of this is contingent on what happens with the Fulham squad. Um, we talked about John Michael Serry. He's done done well in preseason. He got a run out against Charlton. Was that a case of putting him in the shop window? Potentially, a bit like what happened with the Sheffield Wednesday game in the Carabao Cup last year. Um, obviously, Andre Frank Anguisse is going to attract interest and that's going to continue to the window. So whether there's this sort of contingency to be like, let's have these almost ready to go. If if these go, they will need to be replaced, I'm sure. Um, and obviously, Tyrese Francois has forced himself into contention as well. So that may change things. But in terms of uh, others, I'm aware of my colleague, Adam Leventhal, who covers Watford, has highlighted that Nathaniel Chalabar and Will Hughes are players that Marco Silva likes. Uh, obviously, worked with them uh, at Vicarage Road. Will Hughes is currently in the under-23s. He's in a bit of a contract standoff. So those are two names that, that would definitely work in a silver system. Um, aside from that, there's no one else who's overly concrete. I still expect there'll be someone. I think that there, there could be more. Um, silver himself has said that. So uh, let's wait and see. Yeah, I, I guess at the moment, it's a bit weird for Fulham to be in this position where actually... Like things are still up in the air with the transfer window going, but not like last season where I'm like, we need six reinforcements before the end of the window for us to have any kind of chance. Like a lot of it depends on who leaves, who goes. There's still stuff in the air, still stuff to be decided. And it wouldn't be Fulham if there wasn't some business done on transfer deadline day. Yeah, also, but there's there's a point to be made on that, I think, which is that because we're not relying on the business done on transfer deadline day right now, it feels like that's okay, right? Anything brought in on deadline day would be a bonus. Yeah. And that's a nice place to be. It's not a place, a case of anything brought in on deadline day is exactly what we need, and we're six weeks into the season. It's anything brought in on deadline day might, you know, could could be a factor later on in the season as someone that we can work with, which is which is a nice place to be. And that's how that's how deadline day should work, right? It should be a should be a positive, should be a bonus, should look at things and think, right, this is where this is where things are going to happen. Uh, Chris F asks, um, are you able to cover what rules, if any, there will be with regards to COVID restrictions at the game on Saturday? Well, first of all, Chris, the game's on Sunday, so don't turn up on Saturday would be my first um, little bit of advice. Um, Secondly, if the Charlton game was anything to go by, there was no real checks or restrictions in place um, as far as you know, but obviously it was a much lower crowd on, on Saturday against Charlton. So maybe there might be some more provisions, but my understanding is that there probably won't be kind of any COVID restrictions, obviously like be safe, take a test if you're unsure, et cetera, et cetera. Get vaccinated if you can. I'm not here to like do the government's job on that one. But also what's quite interesting, which I noticed is that the government are looking to try and build, uh, bring in um, proof of vaccination, vaccination passports, whatever, for large crowds from September. The threshold that they were talking about with that and nothing's confirmed yet was 20,000. Now Fulham's capacity without the Riverside stand at the moment is under 20,000. So we may not fall 
into that category once it comes in, but we'll have to wait for the government restrictions. And honestly, your best port of call obviously is A, email the club directly and B, the Fulham Supporters Trust will will have uh, a lot more information than we do. But certainly that was my experience and Jack's experience as well uh, at the game on Saturday. Uh, Harry Blakely asks, should post-match interviews be carried out in the infinity pool? Uh, Peter, your thoughts? Yeah, I'd be up for that. Depends on the weather though. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't want to do that in the rain or in the <laughs> snow. Or any- well, to be honest, for most of the season, actually, no, I retract that. No, I, I, I do not want to do that. Is it yes from me though? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Why Pina not? Pina in one hand. Wait, are these, are we talking broadcast post-match interviews? Is broadcast fine? If it's a, you know, you can have me, the, I can do my classic pitch side, they, but if they want to do it in the pool. That's fine by me. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> At the moment, Harry, uh, un- uh, unknown, but I-, I would, I would love to see it. I'd love to see some reports being done from the infinity pool, like they I do. I think that's inevitable, though, isn't it? I mean, that's just definitely going to happen. We all Mon- these Monaco shots. Grand Prix style. Yeah. Um, more serious question from Jordan says, who do you think will be our main centre-back pairing this year? I have a feeling it's Tosin and Reem to start the year with Congolo and Hector in rotation. Would love to hear your thoughts on this competition. Uh, Peter, it was uh, Reem and Tosin uh, against Charlton. Do you expect that to stay for Saturday, Sunday? I'm being like Chris, it's definitely Sunday. Yeah, I, I would think it would be, be Tosin and, and Reem at this point. Obviously, Congolo's not up to speed yet and I think once he's fit I think maybe there would be a question but I think with with Tim Ream because of his experience because how look at his leadership qualities because of the way he plays as well I think he, he fits quite nicely into what Silver wants to do um you know it, it would make sense to have his steady hands on on what is what is a relatively young team um so for sure yeah, I think Ream and Tosin but what's interesting obviously with the names you mentioned there's also Alfie Morton um, back and in contention, one of those players will certainly go on loan. And there's Maxime Lamarchand as well, who I think you'd, you'd, you'd think he, he may be one who, who will go on loan as well. So, yeah, there's uh, there's competition in those areas, and I think um, we'll see we may see one or two depart because that's yeah, it's too many centre backs. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that Tim Ream is going to be the starting echelon here, and, and unless he does something to lose his place, I'd be surprised if Tim Ream is not the starting partner of this partnership for the for the entire season to be honest I think as Peter says it's not just about the tangibles right it's about it's about leadership it's about that calm head at the back without Tom Kearney who's still you know we're we're not sure when his return date from injury is he's going to wear the armband he's going to be that kind of calm head with the armband I think it's important to remember that like you say there's there's not huge amounts of leaders I don't think in this team at the moment especially in terms of experience and I think Tim Ream brings that at the back he brings a calm head he's still a quality player at this level um, and I think that he's going to be a, a key part of, of how Silver looks to build so yes there is a, a an argument that maybe Tosin and, and Congolo is, is the best centre-back partnership in terms of actual talent and calibre um, but I think that given what Tim Ream brings to this side um, he he's going to be a key part of this this team, I think, for the for the foreseeable. Um, Peter, I think we should go more in depth on Tim Ream next week following your interview in the Athletic, which uh, people should go and read. But I thought you just might want thirty seconds just to kind of uh, talk about the interview, how it was, uh, and yeah, where people can find it. Yeah, no, I, I spoke to Tim after the after the Charlton game, and um, I think as Jack Jack's right in terms of his leadership qualities, and I think the way he spoke not only about the season to come and, and obviously the impact that Marco Silva has had, um, but also last season he didn't pull any punches about 
how it went. Um, he said it was awful. So it was really, really difficult. Doubly hard for him, obviously, not being involved. Um, it was quite diplomatic, I think, over um, whether a change was needed. But he did make the point that I think he thought it was mutually beneficial. And it, it did, he did give a sort of steer on, on where things were. And it's interesting contrasting that sort of feeling at the end of last season with where we are now and sort of underlines how actually you know, Scott Parker's departure and bringing in Silver has, has done probably a fair amount of good across the board for all parties. Um, but no, uh, re, uh, Tim sort of talked about his new sort of responsibilities he has under Silver. So obviously with Tyrese and, and Fabio stepping into the first team, he's sort of looking out for them, looking after them. And we also touched on social media because Tim's obviously been so active on social media, but also been a recipient of a lot of unfair and unwarranted and quite harmful abuse. Um, and he talked about that and, and Tom Kearney's project um, to provide uh, a new social network with which requires identification and, and there, there are obviously some some flaws with that. Um, but at the same time, trying to do to have to try and act and actually do something and put something in place that can that can make a difference. Um, but as ever with with Tim Ream, he he speaks really really well. He, he's very very honest and. It's definitely worth your time. And he, he talks about the impact Silver's had too uh, and, and how he sort of fits in with centre-backs and and uh, the secret to being the one constant, uh, having had 15 different, having played alongside 15 different central defenders. That's not the same as defensive partners because he's probably had more, but um, yeah, he's, uh, he's had a fair few in his six years at the club. Exactly. Well, more on Tim Ream on next week's podcast, but if you want to read it, uh, head to The Athletic. And if you don't subscribe to The Athletic yet, uh, you can get 33% off your subscription by using the URL, theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. One final question, Jack, here from Chris Ballard. He says, in which home game do we beat our Craven Cottage goal tally from last season? I'm going at home to Swansea City on September the 29th. So basically, how long will it take us to score nine goals at home this season <laughs> nine goals at home okay i'm going that's a great question yeah i'm going keep well no actually it's a lot i'm gonna go oh i'm gonna go one before you mate i'm gonna go full and reading 18th of september full and reading 18th of september yeah. um, peter we've got um in that time middlesbrough hull stoke uh, and then reading is the fourth game you got swansea as the fifth game uh, what 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 are you thinking? I think Reading could be a fill your boots, but I think the, the games before might be a bit tricky. And actually, looking back at some of Silver's results at his previous clubs before before he moved to England, he does like a, a couple of one nils, two ones, two nils. So maybe I'm going to delay until I might ooh, uh, to Swansea. I'll delay to Swansea on the 29th, but before the end of September. Definitely. Okay, I'm just gonna stick my neck out to be confident and go for Stoke three <laughs> games in. Three games in. Come on, we can get three goals in each game and we'll hit the magic nine. Um, I think a sportsman bet on this, maybe a fiver uh, each way or like pints. First round of the pints when we when we next see each other. Yeah. Guys. Okay. Fine. Um, done. Great question from Chris Ballard. There's, there. a, gr- there's a great thing going on. It's just reminded me of uh, there's a game in a pub near me called the King's Arms in Hamwell, um, and they're playing. Premier League pontoon where basically you pay a tenner to get in and everybody gets a team um, and your team is the first two ever to get to 21 goals in the Premier League this year it wins but if you score you have to end the game on 21 goals so if you go if you score the 22nd goal within 90 minutes of the same game really you go back to zero um, what a great what a great game 
Because you'd na- naturally think, well, just to get Man City, but yeah. obviously you have to then hit 21. That's actually maybe you're better off having a slightly lower team that scores maybe two goals a game or something like that, that, that might be more likely to hit the number rather than City. You tend to score five or six in a game. That is, that is astonishing. If someone hasn't turned that into an app, or some kind of online game soon, Jack, then there's money to be made there. That is, that is terrific. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Our big fat Fulham championship preview podcast of the season. It absolutely rolls off the tongue. Um, so yeah, we're really looking forward to Sunday and from here on in Fulhamish full service resumes. So we will be back on Monday evening, uh, looking back at the Middlesbrough game. Uh, and then us three will be back next Thursday where we're going to discuss Tim Ream in a little bit more depth and be looking ahead to the Huddersfield game, Fulham's first away game of the season. Uh, so that all that's left for me to do is thank my guest today, Jack Collins. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. And Peter Rutzler, thank you. Oh, thank you very much, Sammy. It's always a pleasure. Enjoy the press box on, on oh, I will. with your I'll, monitors and my replays and yeah. Wi-Fi. You'll be having a lovely time. You'll be right. Oh. You'll be tweeting pictures of the Riverside stand even faster um, yeah, I th- than you normally do. I did get quite a few requests to keep going with that. I said I'd discontinue, but there there is some popular popular demand. But then again, everyone there can also do it. So I feel like how's, right. the, how's the food in the press box? That's the big question. There's no food in the press box at the moment, mate. Still, none still at all. Still, no, not no, even no. straight in and straight out. Still, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. We got we it upgraded to coffee and tea during last season, which was a big bonus. There's been rumours of some sandwiches at some places in the Premier League, so fingers crossed. Fingers yeah, crossed. This is packed lunch still. Um, it's still my packed lunch, yeah. It's still yeah. My packed lunch. <laughs> With a tuna and cheese sandwich or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Bang on, sadly. Sometimes um, some soup, bring in a flask. Very good on a cold day. Yeah, that is very you, Peter. All right, well, thank you very much for listening today. And come on, Fulham on Sunday. Can we get a win in the first game of the season? ruddy hope so so thank you very much cheers for listening come on you whites you whites